Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Episode 20, how is that possible? I'm so glad you're here. We're going to talk to interior designer Jackie Glass about renovating for yourself and how challenging that can be. That's happened to all of us, right? You're going along great. You're feeling really positive when it comes to a client's renovation or decoration project or a staging project. You know exactly what to do. You're very quick with your responses. And yet when you turn the tables and you're the one who's getting an exciting new designer decorating project, suddenly you second guess every single decision you make to the point that you honestly start thinking about hiring another designer to do your job, right? I've been there. I've felt exactly the way you do. Jackie Glass Inc. is a full-service design firm that offers a range of residential renovation services, including space design, project management, furniture layout, window treatments, etc. Jackie is very well known in the interior design industry. She has renovated, decorated, you name it, more than 100 projects for clients who love her enough to hire her again and again. And that's really the ultimate gold standard, isn't it? Clients who want to hire you again and again. Jackie kind of stumbled into the business like a lot of us did. Her older sister decided to move her bedroom up into the family attic. And that meant, ooh, new bedroom for Jackie, much bigger. What was she going to do? And she discovered that she was really quite good at decorating and felt a lot of empowerment by taking control of her space. In the past few years, Jackie and her husband purchased a new home for them on beautiful acreage in Niagara's wine country. So that's Canada's wine country. Actually, it's Canada's smaller wine country. The biggest wine country in Canada is in British Columbia, of course, the Okanagan Valley. Uh, Ontario has its own wine culture, and the wine is getting better and better. And Jackie Glass found a beautiful property and thus began a journey of renovating that property and learning a little bit about her business and her style of management and putting herself in the client's shoes when it comes time to to work on their behalf. So she's going to share with us all that she's learned. Before we jump into the episode, I do want to say thank you to our newest sponsor, and I'm very, very grateful to this particular sponsor, Kravit Fabrics, Kravit Inc. I have been a loyal customer of Kravit Fabrics since 1991, and that's not because I'm a nice person. That's because they deliver unparalleled customer service. What do I mean by that? Of course, they sell me beautiful fabrics and beautiful wall covering and now carpets and curated cravat as well, furniture. But what I love about them, in addition to the fantastic products they provide, which make me look good in front of my clients, is their customer service. When I have an issue, when I have a question, they're immediately responsive to my needs. They understand what it is that I do and they immediately satisfy me so I can in turn satisfy my clients. 
established in 1918. They are still a family-run business, which I love, and they remain industry leaders supporting the community. So thank you so much to Kravit for reaching out and sponsoring the podcast. And for those of you who aren't shopping at Kravit, I really encourage you to support them as they really do care about the trade and your trade business. And to be perfectly frank and even crass, you can make a lot of money when you sell fabrics to clients. So it's a win-win. Thank you, Kravit, Inc. Jackie is the principal designer in her own firm. She's a regular design expert on CityLine. So from time to time, we're on television together. And she's one of those designers that I admire. I ask her advice. Um, I see the projects that she does. They're beautiful. I know she takes the business very seriously. And what we learned from talking together on the podcast is she and I don't do things the same way all the time. And that's okay. It was one of the decisions we had to make when we launched Business of Design as a podcast. Were we going to hear from other experts who did things differently than us? And the answer is yes, we do want to hear from them. In some cases, I come away convinced, absolutely convinced that I'm going to stick with the way I'm doing it. And in other cases, I'm thinking, well, maybe I could experiment with that concept and see how that goes. So it's fun to get different perspectives and uh, just know that uh, the systems that we use are available to all of you through businessofdesign.com. We hope you'll go check us out. Uh, I believe it is the best value in the industry without exception for information that will help you run your business, become more profitable, and really transform your life. And the other thing I would like to ask of all of you, if you like the podcast, we would really appreciate you subscribing and sharing episodes and talking about those episodes. Uh, It's helping to build our brand and we're excited about the work we do. And for those of you who know me and have been following me for many years, you know that Business of Design is not my profit generating source. I get my profit from clients and I love that. Uh, And I do that work committedly uh, with real integrity. Uh, Business of Design is a labor of love and we need your support in order to continue providing great content. So help us out by subscribing, by sharing, by talking about it, and certainly by becoming a member. As you're listening to this episode, I want you to replace the movie title, As Good As It Gets, with Something's Gotta Give. They're both Jack Nicholson movies. Uh, One of them, though, is set in the Hamptons, and it's the one with Diane Keaton. And we have a little brief bonding moment where we talk about how many times we've been hired to do the kitchen from that movie, Something's Gotta Give. So you're going to hear us talk about that, and I don't want you to be confused. Jackie, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to do this. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to, happy to speak to you. I hope everybody will Google Jackie Glass and see some of the spectacular work she does. I'm a big fan. And we want to hear how renovating your own space, your own home, impacted you as a designer and perhaps even allowed you to have more empathy for clients. I think there's a lot we can learn here. So why don't you start by telling us about your project? It sounds like it was really exciting. You know, it's been quite a journey, and it's been probably, it'll be almost two years at the end of the summer that we we made the move from the Oakville area into the Niagara Escarpment area. And 
It was a beautiful property, 12 acres that we fell in love with. The house on the property was a dated mid-century modern, had really good bones, but needed a lot of work. And so we originally said, hey, let's just Let's just change the garage into a, into a master bedroom. But it became that so much more than that, uh, working with a great architect, going through the planning and getting permits and all of that. So it's certainly not for the faint of heart, but we, we managed to end up with a product that we, we loved. And putting myself back into that client position was really, um, it was an interesting process because it, it had been, I realized it had been almost 15 years since I had done a major renovation in my own home in Oakville. So to be back in, in that position, to be dealing with trades, to be looking at my budget, to be coming home to chaos after a busy day, uh, it was certainly uh, very eye-opening and definitely made me far more, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to my clients going through it. I understand the stress. But for me, it was double whammy because I was dealing with client stress on the job and then my own personal stress when I would get home. So it was, it was an interesting year for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I know you're a cerebral designer, for lack of a, a better way to describe it, that you approach the project uh, really from a foundation of function has to be paramount. Uh, you have to have a plan. You have to have a budget. So can you break down some of those fundamentals for us and tell me how it's different when you approach those things for yourself versus a client. And I want to also say a lot of people are listening and saying, oh my God, I do great work when I'm working for the clients, but when it's for me, I second guess myself, I break the rules. So keep that in mind as you're telling us about planning and budget and all of those things that you tackle at the beginning of your projects. Well, it's, it's a, that's a really, really detailed question. And, and it's a really important one because I try to simplify things, but remember when you're doing your own space, for sure, every designer second guesses themselves. They, they take the time because what you really want to do is, is show something different because that's something that you can, you can learn different things. So you explore different, different mediums, whether it be different tiles you normally would tackle, different, different floor options different products that you may not use, that you may not be able to sell to a client initially, but something that you want to do for yourself and just see how it all works out. And so you're always looking at the next newest thing. But again, for any client or for any designer who wants to establish a look, which I think is really important, I think most designers are recognized for their look, which is why they're often hired by, by that client who recognizes that look. It's important to stay really consistent with what, what you what you actually give to a client and what you show in your home. So you can be crazy, but a little bit of crazy. And that's what I tried to do with my home. I tried to use different, different um, products, different colors, um, different mixes of cabinets, for example, um, that might show uh, something new and fresh that would inspire my clients and also just change sort of that, almost that branding that I was, that, that people have known me for that Hamptons white kitchen classic look now modernize it, clean it up, but still have that grounding common denominator of consistency, simplicity, and timeless charm. Wow. Every time I do a podcast, I'm kind of blown away because I ask a question and I think I know what the answer is going to be. And I get back something totally different. And you touched on so many things there, including the curse of the movie, As Good As It Gets. I think I did about 28 of those White Hamptons kitchens. 
So and, did I. Right? And so I completely appreciate oh, yeah. the need to bust out and do something totally different when it comes mm. to decorating or designing your own place. So, so that was amazing for sure. And I know you mentioned that you were mm. um, tried out some different types of products. For example, you were talking about that amazing fireplace, and hopefully we can show some pictures on the website, that beautiful fireplace, right. and that it was faced with what I believe might be porcelain. How did that work out? Yes. Well, it, again, that was a real challenge for the installer, uh, it's a it's a product that's it's a Spanish product. It is porcelain, and it comes in different thicknesses, so it can be used uh, both inside and on the exterior of buildings. So it's extremely durable, and can withstand high temperatures and so forth. However, when it's eight millimeters thin, uh, it it's extremely fragile in terms of insulation. So it was a painstaking. Uh, it took months to just install that, and the the surface has to be completely, completely perfect. And you know, nothing in design and the renovations are perfect. And this was an old fireplace that was easily 50 years old that we had to clad. So we tried to drywall it with, uh, you know, obviously a cement board, a fire retardant board, and it was never good enough for the installers until they finally came and they said, we're going to do that. So it, we ended up losing more. It's, it's a much bigger fireplace simply because of the inches that had to be applied to the surface in order to make it a perfect, perfectly smooth level surface. So it was painstaking, one sheet at a time. Wow. And at one point, they'd even cracked the sheet and said, oh, we can fix it, but we, we have to have them remove it and start again. So wow. it was, that was a real challenge. Don't you feel when something like that happens um, that, oh my gosh, I'm glad this is happening to me and not a client? Like I'll kind of have an infinite amount of patience when I see my trades really doing their very best and struggling to make right. something perfect, where when you're dealing on behalf of a client, um, sometimes they have less patience and less understanding about how that works. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, clients want perfection. And, you know, I, and I will say to them, even before a renovation starts, I will say no wall is perfect. There are going to be blips. There's going to be things that you're not going to like. It's just going to happen. And there'll be a lot of things that have to be taken care of after the job. And that's the most important part of a contractor is to make sure that they're there for that after part. Because sometimes it's a struggle because they're on the next job and you're the one dealing with the client saying, but, you know, the, the plates on, you know, the electrical plates aren't straight or, and they're all little fiddly things that can take days and days and days, but so, so necessary for the end result, which is a happy client, who will then, of course, recommend you to the next client, as opposed to saying, well, I'm really not happy with the finishes, which is, you know, death to any designer. Exactly. And years ago, we added something to our contract, which uh, allows us to have site inspection as we think is required. And that came about as a direct result of clients saying, listen, our fees are getting really high. We don't want you to come on site. We'll handle it. We'll manage it. And then we would show up and find out, ah, the finish isn't right, that all the light switches are crooked, as you say. So we do give ourselves that advanced permission with clients to go in and manage the project on a regular basis and make sure it's running smoothly. And it actually saves time because there's none of that follow-up at the end then. Absolutely. It's a great thing to add to your contract for sure. You have, to, you have to really dot all the I's, cross all the T's when it comes to a client because, again, you, you, and it, and it is, you, you, you don't realize that you, you, learn, um, you learn as you go what to add to, your, to, your, uh, you know, to the contract in order to make it fluid and to, and to protect yourself more than anything. 
So true. So true. Okay. So getting back to this idea, do you understand, can you describe why it is you think we designers have trouble when it's time to renovate or decorate for ourselves? Because, you know, all along we're all like, oh my God, it'd be the perfect job if it wasn't for clients. And then finally there's no client. And suddenly we're in a cold sweat panic because it's our money and our project. What what do you think that's about? (laughs) Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, when you're your own client, I mean, you, you know, you think, okay, you do it every day, so it's pretty rote. But it's easy to become a deer in headlights when it is your own project, for sure, because there are uncertainties. And you do, you know, it, like I, I also had a husband on the other side of it. So, I mean, I did have a client who, who you know, because of his background, understood construction, did some of the project management of the job, which was great from a budget perspective. I didn't need a site super. He was there. But it also meant that we sparred a little bit. And I found myself stamping my foot a couple of times saying, I'm the designer in this job. No, I don't want it like that. Because sometimes he would come in and, and almost override something. And it got to a point where I'd, I'd say to some of the trades, well, I'd like it this way, but speak to my husband. I'm sure it'll be the exact opposite. It was sort of that Seinfeld episode where George <laughs> realizes everything he said that the opposite would happen. So it became a little bit of a joke. With anything, you do have to approach it with a sense of humor. And, 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 and I seriously say, unless you do not imbibe, you need a case of wine. And I say that to every client. And so once we sign the contract, I'm saying, okay, now it's time to buy a case of wine. And you might need more than one because it, when you come home and you see the devastation in your home, you really just feel like my life has, has just changed. How do you know when to be open to the advice of others? I mean, you are the designer, right? That's clear. But how do you know when it's time to listen to the tradesperson, your spouse, whomever it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to listen to your, your gut. And as, as basic as that is, uh, I often do my best thinking late at night. And I will lie in bed and review what's gone on, what, whether I, I can literally, I close my eyes and I see how I envision the room to be based on perhaps it could be a, a, a comment a client wants or, you know, or thinking of or something that a, a contractor has recommended. And I actually see whether it feels right. And then I can go forward really confidently the next day and say, no, I want to go back to the way I suggested. This is why. And I can, then I can, I, and it is really, I mean, if a client insists, I think there's that point where every designer has to acquiesce and say, okay, it's the client's home. I will, you know, not grudgingly, that's not the word, but I will, I will tactfully retreat to my corner and say, okay, I didn't win this battle, but I will win the war and, uh, and, and carry on because it's not earth shattering usually, but it, it does, if it's really going to affect the overall vision, you definitely have to sit back, catch your breath and, and then be the designer and, and really emphatically make the decision with the client and prove to them that it's right. And when it comes to yourself, who do you use as a sounding board? Like, I know you have people on your team. I definitely rely on people on my team when it's for myself to say, now this is what I said I want the vision to be. This is a little bit off that course. Here's why I think I might be able to get away with it. And sometimes they'll say, oh my gosh, go for it. Other times they'll say, are you crazy? That is exactly what you said you didn't want. So who do you use as a sounding board? When I have an idea that I think might work, um, uh, I, I, I don't usually have a sounding board. I will usually just think it through myself. And it, it's really, it's a really basic instinct that I have. I will just say this is, I really do believe 
Um, I, I am suggesting that this is the way to go. And I will say that very gently but firmly to a client. I never get into an argument with a client. No, no designer should. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, I, will, I will make my case. And if they completely disagree still, then I will say, fine, you know, and, and I won't ever point fingers when at the end, you know, perhaps it would have been better had they gone my route. Generally, though, by the time you're in contract, clients are, you know, with, with it being respectful, saying they're like putty in your hand. They do trust you and they should trust you mm-hmm. because that's why they signed up with you. They believe in what you do. They understand the process can be arduous and stressful and they need that professional handholding. Right. And of course, you've been doing this um, more than 20 years. So have I. You definitely gain confidence as you go along. And I think renovating for yourself even helps add to that level of confidence, maybe. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because I literally went out and I, I tend, even when I'm doing a client's project, but probably more so because it was my own, I scoured and checked out, like, like I suggest to clients, all sorts of different mediums just to get ideas on what does mid-century modern mean to today's public? What, what are designers doing in Europe? What are, and I, I really did a global search of where things were going to try and get ahead of the Canadian market so that when the house was finally completed, I would be showing something that did have some, something different, something fresh, um, all the while being very aware that I didn't want to deviate too far from the brand because I didn't want to alienate the old clients that would continue to call me and continue to call me uh, and, 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 and have them say, oh, Jackie's gone modern. I don't like her look now. I wanted it to be a subtle blending. My own curation of modernism is, is the quest I went on a year ago. This whole conversation is taking me down memory lane to 1992, I think it was. When I first launched my business, every client who called wanted a different look. And I took every job because I was excited and enthusiastic about it. And then around 1992, 93, I got published, which is, as you know, a big deal. At least it used to be a big deal. And it really helped launch my career. Now, I got published doing a French country home. And for the next decade plus, that became the bane of my existence. Clients only phoned when they wanted that particular look. This went on long past the very brief moment when that was the hot look. And I finally had to completely shake things up to get out of that rut. Jackie also made me aware of the fact that I do use my own home, my own spaces to experiment a little, to try new product, uh, to sway the public in terms of thinking about my brand. When I wanted to get out of that French country loop, I started publishing only more contemporary spaces or classically traditional spaces. And finally, I did a condo that was jet black from top to bottom. And that seemed to shake people up and got me some of the more modern projects that we do now, which I quite like. One thing I think, I don't think I considered when I started out is how valuable it is to have a brand, be a brand, and stick to the brand. So advice for people just starting out, how do you establish that brand early on, do you think? That is, I agree. Everything you said is exactly what happened to me as well about the, not, I really didn't understand what a brand was 20 years ago. I didn't have a clue, but like you, 
uh, I, I got published and my home became my calling card. And so it happened, it happened to be by the water. It happened to be an old cottage originally. And I played to that personally. I didn't think it be, would become a brand, but it did because over and over again, I did that Hampton style kitchen and it's beautiful kitchen. And that movie as good as it gets. It's a similar kitchen and people would call me or they'd hold up the magazine that would show my kitchen and say, I love that kitchen. I want that kitchen. And so now I am carefully creating a brand with a house that has that aesthetic of modern to it, knowing that that's where design is going and has been going for a number of years. So for a designer starting out, most definitely think about the brand. And it can often start, for me, very innocently with my own home that got published. It could be a project, like you say, a French country space that got published that suddenly you may not like French country personally, it doesn't matter. It just happened to be something that got published or something that got seen by a client whose, whose friend came in and saw it and blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, um, you, you start, you're starting to now use those same pierre-free fabrics and you're starting to, to, to create a look that can happen in my case. And it seems like yours as well, Kim, a little accidentally, but yeah. now it is a deliberate road that a young designer should take and to say, what look do I like? And they can, sometimes you can look no farther than your own space to see what you do. Yeah. And you know what? You can take those projects that are not like your brand, but don't photograph them and don't publish them. Yeah. You know what? I'm confused. Is it as good as it gets or something's got to give? I always mix up those two movie titles. Oh, now that you say it, now I'm confused. <laughs> I think it's as good as it gets. I think it's... we know it's the one with Jack and Diane Keaton and that beautiful beach house. Yes. Okay. We're going to solve this mystery. Uh, you say it's as good as it gets. I say it's something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Whoever loses has to buy the other one some wine and we both win. All right. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. So I want, because you have so much experience and I've met clients uh, who have worked with you who love you, and, and that says a lot about you for sure. I would like you to walk people loosely through the stages of a design project. Does it start with budget? Does it start with plan? What are kind of the five buckets you could describe? And did you follow them for yourself just like you follow them for clients? Okay. Well, let's start with the client then. So initially, consultation, of course, you find out the client's thinking about doing a reno. So you're now in the home. And during that, it's a conversation where I listen, usually have someone with me, a, a staff member who's who, while we can, while the client and I can chat freely, they can be taking notes. Just because, again, when you have a lot of clients, it can easily get blur, blurred, the decisions and the, and the, the um, just, just some of the comments that clients make. So you gently ask them what they think the budget is going to be, knowing full well it's going to be well under what you're already mentally going. This is a $350,000 job. And they come in and say, I was thinking maybe it's going to be about one hundred and fifty. And so you can you immediately try and get that information from them. So speaking to the client, listening to the client, and then trying to narrow down the scope of work. Because the next thing I do is I now try and work pretty darn fast because it's a competitive market. So the next thing I try and do is I bring in a contractor and I bring in my, my, my kitchen people. Like I like them to do sort of, I like to them to do hand measures straight off the bat. So that we now have um, a concept that we can give a client to get them interested, to get them excited. 
So the, all of that is done. And it, it usually, I'll be honest, I usually lose money on the consultation fee, but I've decided and have been doing it for a couple of years now where that doesn't matter. The consultation fee is merely a way to get in the door. And then the next thing where you're going to really make your money is moving quickly, getting them drawings, getting them connected to you and to your people and getting the contract signed. So I, I've become a little more cutthroat in terms of it's a business, it's a process and get to it quickly. Then I start to entice them whilst the contractor is putting together his numbers by giving them inspirational images. And I usually suggest they give me the same. So then they, so they will feed that to me via email over the course of a few days or a week or what have you, usually post-consult. Then we go through that process where I start giving them, this is how I see your space. And then we continue on. But remember, loyalty, it's, it's, it's not always there 100% because it's a really competitive market. So chances are, and I will say to them and, and usually encourage them to get more than one quote, but always say to them, remember, numbers are negotiable. And I'd like first right of refusal. If, if, it, if you think you're leaning towards a contractor, let my guy come in and see what he can do. And then we start moving towards contract and obviously inevitably the, inevitably the start date and moving forward on the project. Did you kind of follow that process for yourself? Because I found when I talked to other designers that sometimes when they work for themselves, they don't follow the same process, and that can be something that really messes you up in your own renovations. Uh, I can see how that could happen very, very easily. Luckily, um, we, we, did, we did what I suggest and what clients do, which is we did get two to three quotes for everything. I also was very fortunate to be living with the project manager. So we, my husband literally did a spreadsheet. He's very analytical. He did a spreadsheet and he literally would have three quotes of the electrician and three quotes of the septic and three quotes of whatever. And he broke down every aspect of the construction because that's what he managed. And so that was, we would literally sit down and if we, if sometimes we, it was a gut feeling where we just liked for example, the electrician, and it, even though he was $5,000 more, we said, that's the guy we want. We just know we can trust him. And, that's, and then we started to, to engage them. Um, and then we did have our breakdown of the process, which typically your contractor will do. Uh, and and, and my, my contractor slash husband slash site supervisor, he literally broke it down and managed the process from demolition to build back. Wow. He's, so we did he's say, lovely oh, to have so did around. We, did we? It was very handy. And, and, and we ended up, I know you've heard of my little trailer story, but in all, in all honesty, we could not have rented a space off site because there was too much going on initially where my husband could literally walk across the lawn and go straight into the house and deal with the problem as it arose. Love my little trailer. Tell everybody about your trailer. <laughs> So it really happened from a, a fun, well, a necessity really, but it became a really fun sort of process. We were literally, um, so the original plan, Kim, was that we would build, we were assured by our architect that our, we would get permission to build our triple car garage and be able to live in that little guest house garage until the house was, uh, was approved. And instead, the reverse happened. The house permits were approved, but the garage was not. And literally almost two, it's probably been a year and a half to the day we've just now gotten permission to build the garage. So I still wouldn't have had my house done had, had we waited for the garage to be approved. <laughs> so then we looked at each other and said, well, what are we going to do? We wanted, we thought, let's get the house started. But what happened was we started looking for a short-term rental. We had guesstimated that it would be about six, six, four to six months. It took longer than that, but 
we thought maybe four to six months we'd be living uh, in, in some sort of rental. But no one really wanted to rent short term. So we thought, well, what else are we going to do? And I sort of su- suggested, well, why don't we think about a trailer? So we spent a couple of, I think the coldest weekends of the year, we went out looking for trailers. And literally the trailer people would say, there they are, they're open, the prices are sitting on the table, so go pick one that you like. So we literally went, ran from cold trailer to cold trailer. And I just found one. The price was right, it was brand new, and I liked the layout. And so went in, struck the deal, and we said, bring it to the site in April. They put it on blocks, but I didn't really like the decor. And so I thought, gee, this really, it's brand new, but it was dated. So I did a little paint and tickle. And the, the end result was we ended up shooting it for, for TV and uh, people absolutely loved it. It's on YouTube. It's had like, my goodness, I think well over 300,000 hits. So people love the trailer. It's pretty, it's cute, it's clean. And we enjoyed it. I did a big patio and we lived there quite happily through the summer months. How can we see it on YouTube? Actually, I think you can just go YouTube Jackie's Trailer. Um, it's uh, through House and Home, and uh, it was it's now thrown onto YouTube. But we even we even decorated it for Christmas because we ended up staying there a little longer than we thought, so it was getting a bit chilly. But I'm telling you, uh, if if my day job with uh, residential work falls, I'd definitely be you know very happy designing trailers because it was really fun. Small spaces are hot, as you know, right now. They're easy to do, and there's so many great products out there. I, mean, I went to my storage unit and, and I swapped out, you know, the swivel chairs. I didn't like the fabric and swapped in some of my more formal chair, chairs. So I didn't really make a lot of purchases, but it, it just made it work. And, uh, and it was well received, which I, I was delighted that people were so thrilled with it. So fun and really strategic at the end of the day. So that's something to think about as well, that you took that and used it oh. as an opportunity to get publicity and to get promotion and all of that kind of stuff. That's great. And I think that a really um, interesting point that, that I think is, is important for any designer is um, o- only the last four years had I hired, um, have I hired a communications director. And, and that is something that it, it's a financial um, burden, so to speak, obviously, because it's, like it's, it's a staff member. And the valuable work in which someone that handles PR, that sees the value, because when you're running around seeing clients, believe me, I'll be very honest, it wasn't my idea to promote it to, to television. Uh, it was hers. She saw the opportunity and said, let's do this. This is really good. And the result is what it is, where there's, there's been a tremendous amount of publicity around it. Um, we did the Christmas story with it, which added. We did some news, newspaper, um, where, you know, picked up the story as well. So it really started to, to amp up and gain some, some, some publicity and some notoriety simply because she saw that opportunity. So it's possible whether you can hire someone full-time or whether you can even employ someone you know, when you see an opportunity like that and, and see whether you can, you can increase your own publicity and your own, your own brand that's, by something like this. That's such a great idea. And you really do need a word-of-mouth referral on that person and the merits of their approach. I know your communications director, and she's worked in publications, print media for a long, long time and really knows the business. So you want to make sure you're getting someone who's got connections and already knows how the wheel gets greased, right? You got it. You've got to have someone who knows. You can't, I mean, I love to hire young staff. I always have. But sometimes you need someone that's seasoned, that sees the game, knows the game, has the contacts, um, and depending on whether they can work part-time or full-time, has the diligence, the consistency to build your social media platform because it is a full-time job. I know how hard she works, 
And it's appreciated every day when I see posts, when I see her attention to detail on my brand. Wow, so true. We recently got, um, well, I don't know how recent it was. It was a few years ago. We got a, a beautiful cake. It was supposed to be a beautiful cake delivered to our office, a big, beautiful box. And when we opened the cake, it was from a paint company. And the cake was different colors of their paint fan deck. And the whole thing was completely smashed on the inside. And we never got a follow-up call from the um, the whoever was in charge of this campaign. No one ever called to say, did right. you get the cake? What did you think? Like it was such a missed, yeah. failed opportunity. And I think lots of people have been burned by hiring the wrong person. So spend mm. your time really taking care and unearthing that person who's already got the contacts and connections because that's going to be the difference between money going down the drain and you finding yourself with 300,000 hits on YouTube, which is really exciting. Mm, oh, absolutely. But and it's scary too because as a, as a designer, you know, the first thing you do, like anyone will tell you that, with, for example, with Instagram, people check Instagram on their way to work. So mornings are when you post and people check them on their way home from work or, or in the early evening or after dinner, what have you. So that's when you post as well. So the diligence, whether you can afford someone or not, because I'm a firm believer, everyone, every budgets and not everyone can, it's taken me many, many years to be able to afford someone with the caliber of, of who I have working with me. But if you can do it yourself, even if you're starting up and say, all right, I get up in the morning, I get the kids breakfast before I go to my office, I'm going to post something and then same just even starting that way very carefully can help build your your followers can help build your profile and then eventually as your build as your business grows and develops yes then start looking for someone that that can manage it and do it well as you say with those credits and with that with that uh, experience yeah I find it really helpful to bank a bunch of posts you know get a bunch of pictures ready get the you know whatever the entry is prepared ahead of time so that when I'm really rushing and I have something important that I care about that I want to promote, I can quickly go and grab the draft that's already prepared and post it. Good information. Mix it up, have fun with it. Like it, it, it can be decor projects, but sometimes like the biggest hit sometimes I'll get on my Instagram is when I send a picture of my puppy, Henry, um, watching the painter squeezing Dino, his toy, and it squeaks. It's the funniest squeak, and it's had like almost 3,000 views because there's my painter, there's Henry. I sent it to my PR girl, and, you know, I didn't even I, – I sent it because it was amusing to me. She posted it, and, and you know, bang, and we had like 3,000 hits on it. So he's my popular boy, as well as showing, you know, flowers that I see in the market or, you know, mix it up, have fun with it. So this goes back to the idea that if you're so busy working, 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 head down, working that grindstone, managing too many projects, not having a moment to breathe, you're going to miss being able to benefit from the analytics when you get something right. Mm. Like you could have been so busy and posted that photo of Henry and not noticed that you had 3,000 hits on that photo. So you do once in a while Mm. have to stop everything and work on your business. Really think about am I hitting my marketing targets? Am I on brand? Mm, Exactly. But you see, 20 years ago, Kim, you and I weren't thinking about brand. People were like people, I was a spokesperson for, for uh, a faucet company, Delta faucet. And I loved them and they were already talking brand so many years ago, probably 15 years ago. And I remember being in meetings going, don't quite, they say, we love your brand. And I remember being really perplexed by that (laughs) because I didn't quite understand brand. 
and public relations and, and marketing and the difference between it. Today's young designer is forced to recognize that. And I think it's, it's the new designer business ethic. It's, it's our, our model, for lack of a better word, where you have to think about your social media because I honestly believe that the new social media um, package that we now have to jump on board with uh, pr- provides the designer with a different type of client. And it might be, for lack of a better word, a better client. And better for me means a bigger client, which equals more money for you, which means you may not need so many smaller clients because you've got a different type of client. You get more, I get more renovation work now than I do someone saying, I live in a condo and I want to buy new furniture. And I, I want that. I want both clients, but Obviously, if it's a business and I have people to pay and myself to pay, I want the bigger job. I wonder if this next batch of designers who are up and coming will struggle the way that I feel my generation has with owning being a successful business owner and turning a profit. Because I hear you say these things like, let's be honest, it's more profitable. And it just rolls off your tongue so easily. But there was a time for me and maybe for you too, where that seemed crass, where I would have been in the meeting with Delta Faucets and they would have said, I love your brand. And I would have said, brand? I don't have a brand. I'm just little old me. Like mm. always playing it down yeah. and playing it small. Yeah. And I wonder if that is that yeah. has that passed? Does this new generation more savvy than we were? Well, I think they're definitely. Um, well, I think the forget designers, but I think the new generation, or if I think of my son, there's a self entitlement, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's an observation, not a criticism, from my perspective, because I think there's more confidence. Um, even young designers coming out, their expectation of salary is is very bold, as opposed to. 10, 15 years ago, the designers coming out of design school, colleges, uh, you know, post-secondary, um, you know, uh, facilities where they will say, uh, where, where they will accept, uh, you know, more of an entry-level um, salary as opposed to the designers coming out now. And I think there is a confidence there. I, I see it. And, and I think it's fantastic because it's, a, it's become so cutthroat. Look at I mean, you and I, we've, we've had these years. We see the way this industry has moved. The client is savvy. I was saying that 10 years ago. Well, if I said that 10 years ago, imagine what the client is today, inundated with Pinterest and, and just social media and, mm-hmm. and stars that are becoming designers that are on house. And, and, you know, I mean, you've got Ashton Kusher designing, for goodness sake. I mean, there's, there's so many people out there. There's so much competition out there. And there's that need to be known. And I think because of that, I think it was less for us for that need to be known, hence why we questioned our brand, uh, whether we were one. But I think that today's designer probably seeks that out far more quickly than we ever did. And we're, we're now, we're, I mean, I, I'd be very honest, I'm, I'm rushing to catch up to that and, and still trying to remain re- relevant with my work, hence rebranding my look, but gently and carefully. Mm-hmm. With, with, with thoughtfulness. It's interesting as an employer, if I put on my other hat, my employer hat, and you described it perfectly, they, their expectations of salary are bold. And I 
bristle at that sometimes because I think when I started, I worked for Peanuts and I was very grateful for the job and I killed myself doing work that I thought was a little bit beneath me, but I knew that if I did that, I would prove myself, I would earn that employer's trust and I would get the breaks that I was looking for. And that turned out to be true. And I've had the experience a couple of times where designers are fresh out of school and they have a salary demand that I think is frankly Mm. ridiculous because the first two or three years are going to work for you. They're more of a liability than they are an asset frequently. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And, And like you, I would start a job and I would do anything and everything to make myself noticed and, and to, and, and because I also, I was diligent. I was, I was conscientious and not that new designers are not by any means, but I would do, if I had to get coffee, I would get coffee for people. If I had to drop off and schlep and drag stuff and sort out the, the fabric library, I did it. And I didn't say a word because I knew that in the end I, I would benefit from it. So like you, it did work, but there tends to be, and, and I actually look for that in employees. I, right. I will automatically, I can tell within a week whether or not an employee is going to work out for me. And I've learned as well, very hard for me, um, because I'm a bit of a softie, but I've learned that I need to, to, to let them go sooner than later, because it, I know it won't, if I'm already questioning why they didn't want, I had one, one young girl, and God bless her, but she refused to get out of the car and grab coffee because it was too hot outside. Oh dear. Oh dear, buttercup. Are you you going to melt? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I just, okay, we've got a little bit of a princess here. And I thought, good luck to you. And uh, thankfully, um, you know, as I said, I I severed the relationship very quickly after that. I just, uh, you know, I had to, I just thought this, she's not a team player. She's not a team player. So Oh my gosh. I, I knew we would out. have too much to talk about in not enough time. So you, you're going to come back and do another episode, right? Yes, I am. Absolutely. Okay, good. Before we end though, what should we, I usually do like kind of a rapid fire value bomb, value bomb thing at the end, just really brief statements that are constructive and helpful to everybody listening. And you went down this topic or down this path of talking about hiring and knowing if it's a right fit. Off the top of your head, if you had to go back and start again and hire your first hire, what would that look like? Oh, well, I've been pretty lucky with my hires. So I get someone, if if we're looking for qualities that I look for, I would be looking for someone who's um, excited, has great ideas, knows her CAD, knows her computer uh, really well, um, and and not just being able to do invoicing and being able to really quickly turn that around, um, conscientious and uh, friendly and willing to learn, um, not wanting to be the lead, understanding that there's a process and you will not be a lead for a long time. Oh my gosh, yes. I remember having a junior designer on staff and she just started with us and we were in a client meeting and she said, you know, I wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you're, you're just not going to be doing it anyway with me. <laughs> I mean, that to me, that was kind of a gross lack of common sense. And her idea may have been brilliant, but it wasn't, but it may have been. Uh, but to, to do it's it totally that way, yeah, completely inappropriate. So, so I think it's important uh, as you're thinking about hiring to 
to know what your deal breakers are. I know there's a decorative artist that I work with and one of her deal breakers is for people she hires under her, other artists that she will sublet to work on client projects. If they pull out their business cards and give them directly to the client, that's a deal breaker for her. So she lets them know that. So that's another good Mm -hmm. thing to kind of tell them what your hot points are, the kind of, you know, what you're looking for long-term, I guess. Well, it's funny. A hot point for me is interesting is when um, your staff or someone will offer to do something for you without being asked. So they've got, I remember um, one girl who became my assistant and uh, I just loved her, Um, but she originally had started out in a very administrative role. And I remember I was knee deep in work and she came into the office and she said, do you want me to return those fabric bolts for you? She's my new assistant. Exactly. She was thinking for me. Yeah, anticipate your needs and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people listening to Business of Design will know Cheryl, who's worked for me for more than a decade now. And I will come to Cheryl with big ideas. I always have big ideas. Let's do this. Let's do that. And Cheryl is the voice of reason who will say, that sounds great. But Kimberly, do you remember that you want to take Fridays off in the summer? I don't think we can make this work with you having Fridays off in the summer. And I'll say, oh, well, maybe I can skip the occasional Friday. And she'll say, no, no, actually, no, you're not going to. Uh, We're going to stick to the plan. I'll put this on my list of things to discuss in September. Have a good summer. Bye-bye. You know, so you you do want people who, yeah, who manage you and take care of you. Um, and conversely, of course, you manage you manage them and you take care of them as well. So we need all the support we can get, don't we, in this business? It's not an easy business. No, no, it's not. It's not. And uh, and I always used to think there's a snobocracy of design um, where designers, when you're doing big projects and particularly when you're working with other designers, there's this really cloak and dagger thing. And I'm a sharer. Like I, I I'm a team player. I like to sit down with my staff and say, "What do you think about this?" Sort of like you do. And and when, but when you're the competition from designer to designer is it, it saddens me a little because it is a wonderful network of creative people who should be willing to share ideas, and often that's not the case because it's like I want to be better than you, and and I think really it should be I just want to be known for my work. I do good work, and nothing pleases me more than when someone says I love your work, and I think that that's what every designer at the end of the day when they hang up their hat and retire or whatever should say that's really what it was all about, that I did good, solid design work that, that my clients will love and, and are loving for a long, long time. Yeah. My nephew's um, company, Nation Builder, really, really cool company, but one of their mottos that they live by is we'd rather be better than right. And I yeah, think about great. that a lot in design. So oh. I tell clients, if your idea is better, we're going with your idea. If the painter's idea is better, we're going mm. with his idea. The best idea wins yeah. and everybody benefits. Exactly. And that's, that's just being smart. <laughs> just being smart. Leave your ego at the door. I used to say that to my girls. You know, there was a time years back, you know, that there would be this, and hey, I'm thrilled that they felt the cachet of working for Jackie Glass, but but no, you treat everyone with respect and you don't, you know, you don't put your nose in the air and say, I work for, like, it's, it's, you just do your job and you make your client happy. That's really, in the end, what it's all about. Wow. Great advice all the way around. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. And by the way, I'm going to check out that trailer video right now before I forget. <laughs> great to talk to you. You too, Jackie. Take care. Take care.